Sometimes to tell a story, uh, an author or a filmmaker will start at the end, you'll see where the character has ended up, and then they start the film, and then they kind of flash back, and you watch how the character got into this predicament or place. The same can be true when you're reading a book. Sometimes it starts with the end in mind, where you see where the individual has ended up in the story, and then the author takes you through it. Well, we're going to use that technique this morning to look at the lives of three individuals, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to hone in on Nehemiah today as we tell their stories. Each of them, God asks them to do something in terms of rebuilding within the children of Israel or the nation of Israel. Each of them, God gives them a specific assignment to which they engage, but they all simultaneously experience that while they're faithful to do what God has asked them to do, something is still missing. And the something that is missing is incredibly significant. Because what was missing from their lives can actually be missing in our lives. In one sense, you know, God is omnipresent, so he's everywhere. But in another sense, there's something different when God, God's presence touches our hearts or touches our lives, touches our relationships, touches whatever it happens to be. There's something that's tangibly different. In Revelation chapter 2, we see the heart of what we're talking about today, where there's this church in Ephesus. And Jesus says to them, here's all the amazing things that you're doing, and none of them need to be stopped. They're all wonderful. But this one thing, there's this one problem, you've lost your first love. And so you're doing all of these things. You're having all of this activity, but, but there's something that is missing. And Jesus says in this church, this church in Revelation, because it's missing, and if you don't recapture your first love, because there's something missing, I'm going to remove that lampstand, which is symbolic of God's presence. And so again, we're going to look today at what is missing as we anchor for the next six weeks, looking about the presence of God. Our anchor verse this entire ministry year is Psalm 120 verse 1 that says this unless the Lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain none of us want to waste our time our energy our talent our finances none of us want to waste those things but what the psalmist is saying in such a clear way is unless God is doing what God alone to do can do what we do doesn't have the same impact or influence unless the Lord watches over the city this is important for where we're going unless the Lord is watching over the city there are watchmen who are staying awake from 3 a.m. until 6 a.m. watching for enemies and here's what the psalmist says though unless there is some one who is watching over us as we are watching over it. Unless there is something that is higher than us, that is greater than us, unless the Lord watches over the city. It doesn't really matter if the watchmen stay awake because the strength isn't in what they have. The strength is in their relationship to who God is. And so this is what they're saying here that the psalmist is saying. And so Israel has been in Babylonian captivity for 50 years. There's one way to read that. And that is exactly like I just said it. Israel has been in Babylonian captivity for 50 years. But there's another way that you can read that and also reflect on your own life, which is, again, it's one thing to learn from what happened all these years ago to Israel. It's another thing to ask yourself a question, which could be, within 2021, what has a hold of my heart? Okay, and so again, here's we see Israel, though, has been enslaved in Babylonian captivity for 50 years. And God uses three leaders with different assignments 
to do the work of rebuilding. They don't all do the same thing, different assignments. And so Zerubbabel, he builds the temple in Jerusalem, and Ezra is a prophet. And Ezra labors, he works hard to recapture people's hearts and minds. He teaches Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which is known as Torah, which again, are not just books of the Bible, but it was the distinction of who they were as the children of Israel, who God was, who they were in relation to God, how they were to live, how they were to engage with enemies and those who were friends, all of these things you can find within Torah. And so Ezra is laboring because for 50 years, they've been living in mixture, understanding everything of Babylon, and they've lost a little bit of sight of who they are and who they are as a people. And last one is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah does something that others had failed to do. He sees that the walls of Jerusalem they were absolutely in ruins. And when city walls lie in ruins, this speaks not just to a physical thing, but it speaks to an identity. It speaks to protection from without, but also identity and pride from within. Just like a home that is, you know, kept up to the best of one's abilities versus just left to be decrepit and in disrepair, it can be a reflection, not just on our economic status, but our hearts. And so for the entire nation, these walls are in, in just disrepair. And Nehemiah, through helping with others, and others get involved. It's a great study of leadership. They all work together, and they rebuild the walls. But if we get to the end of the book of Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 13, it's puzzling. It's so puzzling because of all that they accomplish. The temple is rebuilt. The Torah is once again being retaught. And the city walls have been rebuilt around Jerusalem. But at the end of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah seems frustrated, discouraged, and a little bit upset. Here's what it says, and I'm going to kind of give you a snapshot here as we walk through Nehemiah chapter 13. I was really angry, he says, and I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Now, if you go home and someone's gone into your house and thrown out all their furniture, they're angry with you. They is angry. So here he is. He's upset. He's upset. That's a quick snapshot, like a filmmaker showing you the end. Nehemiah, the walls are rebuilt, should be celebrating, but he's upset because something is missing. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 10 to 11, it says this. He said, I also found out portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So the Levites and the singers who did the work had each fled to his own fields. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? What is Nehemiah saying here? Your house is fine. Your house is fine. Your house is fine. But the house of the Lord is in disrepair. Who we are as a people isn't being honored. How we live our lives, the distinction of who we are has fallen by the wayside. So the walls are built, but the core values or who we are are still lost. And his heart is aching in it. And I've gathered them together and set them in your stations. And then he says this in Nehemiah 13, verse 15. If you know anything about the Ten Commandments, one of those commandments is keep the Sabbath day holy. That there are six days that you can do everything I'm about to read. But the seventh day, it is to be separate. It is to be holy. It is a day of rest as unto the Lord. And here's what he says. In those days, I saw Judah... Judah, people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem. And then he says, on the Sabbath day, if they were doing it any other day, he'd be celebrating it. But what he's getting back to here once again is the walls are rebuilt, but the presence of who we are is missing. 
What God has told us to do, commanded us to do, is fallen by the wayside. We're doing what we want to do and not what God has called us to do. And I warned them on that day when they sold food. And then there's this really interesting text in Nehemiah 13, verses 23. He said, in those days, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And so now you have synchronicity of culture, which is interesting here. And then in Nehemiah 13, verses 31, here's what he says. It's his last prayer. He just says, remember me, O God, for my good. Have you ever worked really hard at something, really, really, really hard at something, and it just didn't go well? Can I see your hands, please? At the end, you're just kind of like, ah. Oh. Okay, like, everyone here knows it wasn't good, and I know it wasn't good, but you just have that, like, okay, tried really hard, did the best I could, and Nehemiah, he should be celebrating all that God has done, ends this book of Nehemiah. We see him angry and confrontational. We see him talking about things in the Torah that are not being, uh, um, not being kept. We see him talking about the mixture of different cultures, not the celebration of cultures, but the mixture of different cultures where who we are distinct as the people of God is being lost to another culture ways of life. It's interesting oftentimes because if you've, you've heard the old expression that, you know, you can take one good apple and put it with a whole bunch of bad apples. And it's not the good apple that usually influences the bad. It's the reverse. And this is an illustration of what's happening here. So you see the last prayer of Nehemiah in spite of all he's taught and all that he's done, all that God has used, he's kind of a little bit despondent. God, would you just remember that I tried to do good? And so again, what's the problem What's missing? Well, the what is not actually a what, it's a who. Who's missing? And the answer is God's presence is missing. In the New Testament, Paul explains God's presence on our lives as an aroma or a fragrance. Talks about an aroma or a fragrance. But thanks be to God who always leads us in Christ's triumphal procession. And through us, through me, through you, through the church, spreads the aroma or the fragrance of the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of Christ in every place. So wherever it is that you go, when you leave this place, you and I are carriers of the fragrance or the aroma of Jesus. Now, spray a single drop or a little bit of cologne or perfume and you have a distinct fragrance. Let's talk about it just for a moment. Here's all I want you to know, whether you're here or you're at home. Some of you love your fragrance a little too much. If we can still smell you next Sunday, you're putting on too much. Can I just say that, okay? If we can still, when you get on the elevator, if it's like, oh my good Lord, no Canadian will ever say anything because we're too nice, but we're all thinking it. We're too much. If you walk into your home and the paint peels off the wall, it's too much. It's too much. No, but spray a single bit of cologne or perfume and you have a distinct fragrance. For some people, it's like, this is my scent. I just use soap. That's just me. This is my scent. But how many of you know if you were to go and spray every cologne and perfume you can find on yourself, every one, all of them, at once, they're all there, but they're no longer distinct. There's no longer a distinct scent. And this is the problem that you see then, 
and this can also be my problem and yours. I'm not saying the scent of Jesus isn't on you. I'm just saying it's mixed with every other scent, so it's indistinguishable. And this can happen not just to individuals. This can happen to churches too. The church of Ephesus that I made reference to, Jesus said, all these works that you're doing, they're all good. But the one essence of who you are, which is loving God with all of your heart and loving others, it's gone. So in other words, church, he's saying to the church in Ephesus, your aroma, there's a smell coming out of the church, it just ain't the right one. And if we have a little bit of feedback in these last number of years coming from the world in which we live, it's not that there isn't a smell coming out of the church, it's they can't distinguish the fragrance of Christ on our lives. But what happened in the Old Testament can happen in ours. Speaking of fragrances, I'm gonna take some of you right back. Does anyone here remember a store called The Bay? Do you remember? Okay, if you're under the maybe 22, 25, the bay is kind of like Amazon, but in a physical store. You'd walk in and you can get everything there from perfume to like vacuum cleaners. It was sort of like you walked into that space. And I remember one time speaking about fragrances. Lori's fragrance, her scent was Eternity by Calvin Klein. Now, that doesn't make Lori unique back in the 90s. I feel like every girl had that exact same scent. Just like men had it, whether it was Brut or Dracar Noir. Remember that? Remember that? that? I think that was paint thicker. I think that's what that stuff was. But nevertheless, paint thinner, not thicker. Thinner. <laughs> Two different things there. But anyways, I, I went to the bay, and here's what they said. I said, I want to buy a bottle of Eternity perfume for my girlfriend. And then they said, well, what size do you want? There's large, and there's medium, and there's small. And then they told me the prices. And I said, there's large, and there's medium, and there's small. Do you have a sample price? <laughs> now I'm going to take you even way back. H how many of you before a date ever in your life, be honest, went to get a sample? Can I see your hands? Please? Okay, come on. You're my people. You're my people. We're cheap. I like you. Now there's one layer we can even go deeper, and some of you don't know this. There used to be these things called magazines. I know, that, I know they still have them, but they're usually on tablets. But you used to be able to get a magazine, and you could find a page of an advertisement of a cologne or a perfume, and it had a, per, a part that was glued, and you could pull it open. Now, how many of you pulled that open? It rubbed it up in your seat. Come on now. Come on now. Come on. You are my people. Because now we're not just cheap, we're innovative and cheap. That's who we are right here. It's so good. Oftentimes, as charismatics, when we talk about the fragrance of Christ, it can be very like ethereal. You know, like, what is the fragrance of Christ? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion? I feel fragrant today. No, it's not that at all. The Apostle John says the fragrance of Christ is three distinct things in our lives. First and foremost, it's obedience to God's word and God's ways. That this is what brings distinction. Secondly, it is a love for God and then a love for others. A growing love for God and a growing love for others. And lastly, it is a confession about the truth about who Jesus is. That these are the things that make our lives distinct. That there's an aroma. And so returning to our story, something missing is also found in the story of Zerubbabel. 
who he builds the temple to perfection. And the temple was a beautiful thing that God gave very specific instructions for how it was to be built, each part of the material, every element of it. But then within the temple structure, in the very end, there was this holy of holies that was reserved for God's presence alone. And so the Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple to absolutely perfect, you know, the specifications were perfect. He rebuilds it wonderfully. The only problem is when sacrifices are given, God's presence doesn't fill the Holy of Holy. God's presence is missing. Not his omnipresence, but his kabod. The weightiness of God's presence. A God who is seemingly in something, he is everywhere. Again, he is omnipresent. It's like this God that you and I know, that we worship, that we engage our whole hearts with. He can be everywhere all at once, and yet he still says, seek me with all your heart, and if you do, you'll find me. So a God who is everywhere can somehow simultaneously still hide and pull our hearts and pull what's in our hearts. And sometimes in his providence, God will lift never his omnipresence or his common grace, but he will lift his kabod. He will lift the weightiness of his presence, and here's why. Because when he does this, it surfaces what we really want, what we really desire. How many of you know you can rebuild all things exterior, but nothing interior without God? You can go through all the motions, but unless God or the Spirit of God does something in our hearts. And Zerubbabel, again, he knows the temple is not only unique due to his design, but what brings it its uniqueness is the presence of God. Ezra knows the Torah or having rules. Every culture has rules. But what makes the Torah so different is its singularity, not just about the Torah, but the author of the Torah is what gives it its purpose. And Nehemiah knows what sets Jerusalem apart isn't merely its walls. It is the presence of God in the, on the hearts and lives and leading and loving the people's lives within the city that they are marked and live and love differently, that this is what it is. And so Life Center this year, we can rebuild services and teams and ministries and it is good and it is necessary work. But what we long for most is for the Holy Spirit to be present in our hearts and in our stories and our services and our teams and our ministries, that we do what we alone can do, but God does what he alone can do. We serve, but how many of you know that God alone saves? We can't save anyone. We can't set anyone free, but we can absolutely pray that we can praise, but only the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Like it says in Acts 17, 28, that it is in Jesus that we live and we move and we have our being. So the question, the final question we want to ask today is, why didn't God's presence fill the temple? Why not? Why why did God not do that? And if we go back, we can listen and see what is in Nehemiah chapter 13 verses 24, which is the children of Israel are out of Babylon, but Babylon is not out of them. Like the fragrant example I used a moment ago, they have the scent of Babylon and the scent of Torah and the scent or the idea of temple, but they're not holy and set apart unto the Lord. And just like you and I, we can have the scent of Christ on our lives but the scent of offense, the sense of selfishness, the scent of division, 
We can have lots of things. So I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying Jesus isn't there. I'm just saying the aroma or the fragrance, it's hard to distinguish sometimes in our own lives. And this is what's happening here. They have temple. They have Torah. They have rebuilt city walls, but they're no longer holy. They're no longer set apart. They're, there's impurity. They disregard the priests and the Levites. They ignore Sabbath rest, just like we do in 2021. They live in syncretism, which is really simply all the perfumes coming onto one or said differently. They desire God, but they also want all the good stuff from the cultures of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Now, we don't today talk about Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, but it can literally be, I want God, and I want everything else too. That's called syncretism. So, we see here that God doesn't show up. It's not because he isn't loving. It's because he is loving. I love how Bishop N.T. Wright says this, Holiness is easy if you don't care about unity. Holiness is easy if you don't care about unity. And unity is easy if you don't care about holiness. The trick is to hold both of them together simultaneously. And this is what we are feeling and seeing. You know a good picture of syncretism? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, it's real, but it's not fully real. It's opinions on everything without the presence of one thing. Here's all I know. It is easy to say it is easier to say something to somebody digitally than it is in their presence. It is easier. It's 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 easier. I read a story and it was an athletics story. And it was the question of this individual was a blogger. And, you know, it was, I, I'm an Ottawa Senators fan, and we've been terrible for a number of years. And so this blogger had an opportunity, one game, to be invited after the hockey game to ask questions. And on their blog, they're really bold in calling out the team. But they said afterwards... It's really different. You can slag a player online all you want. It's another thing when you're staring into their eyes. And they said, all of a sudden, all my courage just leaked right out of me. And I was like, what's your, fa what's your favorite meal? Like, it just... You know, church... There's certain things that are offensive to say because they're offensive. But there's certain things that Canadians have accepted that are allowed to be said, but they are actually offensive. Here's one. And under the understanding of unity is easy if you don't care about holiness. All religions are basically the same. That's offensive. Because for me, when I engage in heart-to-heart -heart con conversation with people who are Muslim, you know what you, we discover? There's many things as Canadians that we agree and we can walk together. But it is fundamentally offensive to them and to me to say to one another that we are fundamentally the same. No, our religions are actually diametrically different. And we're not even doing them justice 
if we don't engage that space one with another. So again, unity is easy if you don't care about holiness, if you don't care about being set apart. Unity is easy if we want to say, you want to come to Life Center? Fine. You, you, you think God is the tree? Then worship the tree. You think God is your bank account? Worship your bank account. You think God is a he? You think God is a she? God is spirit? He's neither? He's both? Okay, fine. You want to do what? Unity is easy if you want to do that. Unity is hard when the holiness enters the picture, which Jesus says, there's only one way to the Father, and it's through me. Everything else is a disqualification. Okay, now unity's different. It's different. And it needs to be different because it's a fundamental truth that Jesus is bringing. And here's why this is important. And if we lose all sense of these things, that we can have faux unity, but it isn't real. Here's why this is significant. Here's what happened in Nehemiah's day. Here's what it said. 50% of the children, half of the children in Nehemiah's day spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah. Oh, church, especially those of you who are my age and a little bit older, how many of you know that how we conduct ourselves will eventually show up into the next generation? And this is what happened here. Anytime God is getting ready to powerfully move two symptoms begin to emerge. And they weren't in this story, and this is why Nehemiah's heart is broken. When God is getting ready to move, whether it is then or it is now, A, there is an awareness of, of the holiness of God, which is his love and his justice seen perfectly in the person of Jesus. Anytime God is getting ready to move in a city or a church, all of a sudden you will see this growing awareness to the holy of God, holiness of God. I used to say that and now I have a guard over my lip or I used to think that and now I take that thought captive. I used to just watch that and now all of a sudden I don't watch that because I know the Holy Spirit is with me. I used to just do this with my body but now I no longer do this with my body because the Holy Spirit is in me as a follower of Jesus. You just have an awareness of the holiness of God. And if you're not careful, that can lead you to performance, which leads to the next space, which is an awareness of the depth of sin in our own life or our own community. And when we get to that place, church, here's what I want to tell you. We have one that is better than Zerubbabel, better than Ezra, and better than Nehemiah. We have the perfect prophet, priest, and king in the person of Jesus Christ who showed us how to love and how to live, that you and I can come to him anytime to be not only receive forgiveness of sin, but that our lives would have the holiness, the set-apartness, the aroma of Christ, again, that his presence is there. Nehemiah was an outstanding leader, but Jesus is our better Nehemiah, who showed us life in a way that we hadn't seen before and made our hearts homesick because wherever Jesus was, God was, and anything was possible. And so I want to end here as Pastor Lori comes and we're going to do communion together. Here's all I know, church. Wherever God is, is present, anything is possible. And wherever God is absent, anything is possible. When we're speaking about God's presence, we don't mean just the omnipresence of God, that his everywhereness Again, we're talking about the kabod or the weightiness of God's presence. When you think about pandemic, what did you miss most? Presence. It was presence. Not presence as in gifts. Presence. 
is what we missed. What do I still miss in pandemic? I still miss presence. Though we're here, I miss presence. Oh, let that be a natural ache for a greater ache that, Lord, we need and desire your presence. Thank you.